Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. On episode 67 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, football is finally back and we talk all things West Ham, including their closed door win over Crystal Palace, the latest on Jeremy and Gakia, preview the Wolves match, and as always, end the episode with some Hammers polls questions. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. Welcome to the Green Street Hammers podcast. This is episode 67. There's a little bit more happiness and excitement in my voice. Uh, I guess I'm Adam also, if you haven't listened before. Uh, Football is back. We have Premier League football as of recording tomorrow, uh, but West Ham returns on Saturday. With me, as always, is Henry. Henry, how are things going with you, man? Uh, They're good, you know, just keeping going down in Brighton. Very good. I'm sure you're excited about football being back uh, this week, less than a week away. Yeah, very much so. I've got a lot of football already set to record, so I can't miss a thing once it does come back. Amazing. And Aaron, you are joining us today as well. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well also. It's uh, finally a return to football this week. I'm uh, a slow uh, build of excitement for a West Ham match is uh, starting to begin for me. Uh, Nervous as always, but also optimistic. Yes, well, we call that... um just realism not optimism not negative negative negativity rather pessimism uh just realism when it comes to west ham nervous excitement uh you never know what's going to happen but you kind of have a feeling about what's going to happen especially when you're playing a team like wolves but uh for us three we're, before we get into chatting about wolves and west ham we want to talk about uh, the match that went down in between this episode and the last episode which was a closed door friendly between west ham and crystal palace uh is there any so west ham won that match 2-1 we'll get into the goal scores and whatnot but i want to get your guys opinion on this Aaron. i want to, I want to talk, come to you first here West Ham beat uh, QPR 4-1. Uh, they're a championship side, albeit a strong one, uh, but still a championship side. Uh, is the, Does a 2-1 win over Crystal Palace, who are sitting mid-table right now, hold more water than a dominant win over QPR? I think they both hold uh, kind of the same level of importance to me. I think uh, you can always say it's like a, a shortened preseason or and not put too much stock into how they played, but I mean, I think we can look at it past several years there's been some really dire preseason uh uh preseason games that west ham is taking part in so i think you can just take optimism that it seems like everybody's ready to go and that i mean a couple a couple wins and positivity no matter who they're over i think is a, a good way to build towards the the final nine games of the year yeah, and, and maybe even there's a mentality check going on here with football being taken away from everybody in the blink of an eye. Um, maybe there's all that much more emphasis on showing up, doing your job, trying to succeed, trying to win, existing not being the uh, the goal for a Premier League footballer and trying to actually win with this club. So we're, we're hopeful that that'll happen. And with football returning, it's not necessarily you know West Ham are going to start chasing down European football spots. It's a relegation battle for us for the rest of the season. So we're just looking for the team to start playing as good as they are on paper. But 
we've had better teams go down. Henry, I want to get your opinion on the same thing. Does the Crystal Palace win hold more water for you than a, than a win over the championship side, QPR? Um, I think maybe it does a little bit because obviously they're like above us in the football ladder rather than QPR who are below in, in the division below. But I think, like Aaron said, it's just important to get the confidence up. Like It's like the film The Longest Day. The, the guards always played a game to sort of warm themselves up ahead of the season that they know they're going to win. So it's sort of good to get a couple wins under the belt. And especially um, in terms of, I mean, football is a professional. Like, they should be going out to win every game, no matter what the circumstances of that match is. Like, it doesn't matter that it's a friendly and it's just to build fitness. Once they're out on the pitch, they're not going to be, oh, I don't need to do this or that because it doesn't matter if we win. They should be trying to win and then take that mentality into the competitive games, which hopefully they take from the wins they've just earned into the start of the the restart of the season. Completely agree. Uh, you know, they, they do get paid, especially for um, the stuff we don't see, the training, and this is all lumped into that as well. So there should be that mentality of showing up and, and putting in a shift. And if anyone should be concerned, it should be the starters on the last match because a lot of times gone by, a lot of players are match fit again, and every position's up for grabs when it comes to a team that's in a relegation, a relegation scrap, rather. So uh, there should be a lot of motivation for the players on the pitch to actually show up and, and earn a spot. Um, and speaking of that, uh, that's my nice transition into earning a spot there. Uh, we had two goal scorers against Crystal Palace in the 2-1 win, one of which was Sebastian Allaire, and the other was Jeremy Ngakia, a player who I'm sure none of us would be surprised if he didn't get any game time against Crystal Palace. Not only did he play, he actually scored a goal, uh, and I think it was the, the winning goal in, in the end there. So, uh, just Aaron, I just want to know your thoughts. It, it, do you think there's something going on here with Ngakia sticking around? Or do you think maybe it's more important for us to be focused on Sebastian Hilaire actually scoring in back-to-back games? I think Ngakia has been uh, really wonderful from a podcasting perspective. <laughs> he's, given, he's given us something to talk about for, I think, probably about six weeks now. Every week seems to be something different. But I don't think he's... It's something we should be necessarily focusing on for this match. I think we, we've talked about it numerous times that Hilaire is going to be a really key figure down the stretch, either good or bad. And, you know, he's, I don't know if you guys have seen some of the photos of him. He looks noticeably slimmer. He mm-hmm. scored in both matches. You know, we, we're starting to have, uh, you know, players like Antonio and Bowen kind of moving around him, hopefully depending on how we play. And I think I think that's got to be the focus. If we can get the big man firing, then uh, it puts us in good a good situation. I think that's a, a good team-friendly mentality as well. You're glad you won the game. You're glad that Ngakia or, or a defensive player chipped in a goal. Um, but the focus should be on Hilaire. He, he's, he's scored for back-to-back games against QPR and against Crystal Palace now. Henry, do your thoughts the same as Aaron's there? Do you think the Hilaire goal is more important uh, from a team perspective? Uh, I definitely think Hilaire's goal is important from a team perspective. I mean, to have our main man, as he would be, scoring both against QPR and Crystal Palace, it's got to be a tremendous boost to the players' confidence that they can sort of rely on him if they know they're going to get a chance for him that he's going to score it I mean he scored seven goals or so for us this season but he's never sort of had like a form a run of games where he sort of continuously scored yeah so even though these are just like friendlies it's good to see that he's capable of hitting the ball into the goal and back-to-back games and hopefully carries on against Wolves I think it's it's more interesting not the fact that Ngakia scored but the fact he was playing at all um, because of his current situation. So there's definitely got to be something else going on at the club trying to push him to sign a new deal and sort of suggest he will be playing, even though Fredericks is fit and probably was what everyone was expecting to be starting and should be getting match fit for the Wolves game. But still, Ngaki has been given the opportunity. So hopefully he does pen a new deal and everyone can put this whole sticky mess behind them and support the young lad and I think maybe that will help by the fact that the games will be behind closed doors because you won't have portions of fans who are questioning him because he didn't sign or like wasn't looking like he was going to sign and getting on his back so the fact that they can almost get what they need to get done behind closed doors no fans gonna be at the game to give him stick if it's not sorted out yet or not which would maybe make up his mind to leave it maybe could now see him stay 
if he does sign a new deal, which I think is still the preference for everyone. But like Aaron said, I feel like this is going to be the first podcast for a while where we wouldn't have to discuss Ngakia. And then everyone found out he scored against Palace and he's the main talking point again. I mean, he, he can't keep his name out of the headlines there, but I, I don't know. There's been so much damage done, and I think part of it's got to be due to the social media focus right now because there's no football to watch. There's no games to distract anything. So a tidbit of news, and we're all included in this, is blown up a million times uh, a million times more uh, under the magnifying glass than it would be normally. So for Ngakia, it is to basically... I mean, the, the news is basically West Ham's academy graduate refuses... Uh, baseline contract believes he's worth more money now that's been said a thousand different ways and the sensationalist will say Ngakia refusing to sign West Ham contract uh, you know linked with Crystal Palace now a Liverpool link came up by the way uh, today so there's just so much going on here that I think if football was going on there would be a lot more leverage on on both sides depending on results and performances for him to sign this deal if he got skinned three times in a row by Wolves uh Chelsea and Tottenham, then he would probably not have the the gumption to sort of ask for this new and improved deal if he had played the same way he had against uh, against Liverpool uh, and uh, who else did he play against Liverpool, Southampton, and Arsenal? Um, then then he would probably the, the club would be inching closer to him. I think he will get a deal signed uh, simply because of the stories coming out that Moyes wants him in the team, and I think his selection against Crystal Palace is a reflection of that. Um, now, if there's any actual truth to that, it's hard to say. It's all conjecture right now. I think the biggest, um, the biggest clue or hint about Ngakia staying will be if he's in the starting lineup uh, against uh, Wolves come Saturday here. Uh, and I, that's where I kind of want to bridge the gap between these two topics here. Uh, Aaron, do you think that Ngakia will be the starting right back against Wolves? Uh, just as a reminder, they do play a wing back or, or uh, extra midfield position. So they are extremely wide and extremely fast down the wings. I think he'll have, uh, who's their left back? Is it uh, Johnny, I believe it is possibly down the left side. So uh, do you think we'll see Jeremy Ngakia as a starting, in the starting 11 rather for West Ham? This point, nothing would would really surprise me. This story has gone all over the place. So many uh, every week seems to change. I mean, if you asked me if you before the Crystal Palace game, I would have definitely said there was no way that he was even in the squad. But with the new developments from uh, from the preseason match or that we just had, I, it's really kind of hard to say at this point. Um, I won't. I don't think we'll really know until you know an hour before the match on Saturday. I think it, I would like to see him in there just from the way he was playing prior to the break. Um, like Henry mentioned, I don't think he'll be affected by the fact that if they're playing in an empty ground, they won't have the you know the fans or the supporters who are frustrated with him yelling at him. So I don't think that would affect him. I don't think his his fellow his teammates aren't going to really be ones to probably give him too hard of a time. They're all professionals. They all understand how contract negotiations work. So uh, I'd like to, you know, I, I really just don't know at this point. I, I would like to see him in there, but I can't give you a, a solid answer. I'll go with no at this point, but could change. Henry, do you have an answer for that one, or at least a, an inkling of what you think? Um, I think, I think with him starting the Palace game sort of makes up my mind that he probably will be starting against Wolves. Um, maybe there's still something niggling at Fredericks and he's not fully fit. And that's why Ngakia was played against Palace and maybe they're just going to sort of go with that for the Wolves game, especially as the games are going to come so quick. Everyone's going to... No one's really going to play back-to-back throughout the rest of the games. Yeah. Um, so the team's going to be changing, chopping and changing every between every game. So maybe they've decided we're going to give Ngakia the game um, to hopefully show him one that we still trust him and want him to play, and like we're not going to let the contract like disrupt his performances or like choice for the team. And hopefully he'll like agree with us and decide this is the best place for him. And then after the game, Fredericks has a bit more time to get back up to speed, and then he'll start the next game after that, and then they'll rotate. So maybe that could be the thinking before the Wolves game. I mean, he's going to have a busy afternoon as well because Diego Jota and I think it's Johnny and Doherty are like their left-sided players are very, very good. So I think this 
I know he had a tough game against Liverpool, but I feel like the way Wolves play, this could be his toughest test yet. Um, especially as like we also need to be like going forward in the game rather than just sort of sat back as we were against Liverpool. Yeah, really, really good points there. And and I think the rotation's important as well. Um, I do think as well, I said it as well three times there, um, that the club need to have an extension nailed down for him as of before the Saturday or before the Tuesday match against Tottenham. So if he's going to play a game, it's going to be the Wolves match. And if he's not in that game, we're not going to see him against Tottenham and, and possibly ever again in a West Ham kit. So I think we will see him in that uh, Wolves game. But uh, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will chat about previewing that upcoming match against Wolves. For West Ham fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best West Ham videos and podcasts, download the free COY Irons app now from the App Store and Google Play. All right, so up next for West Ham, finally, is Wolves, a team that is currently sitting sixth in the table. Uh, they're primed for more Europa League football, but uh, for West Ham, anyways, their lives are against the or up against the back. Uh, sorry, their backs are up against the wall. Their lives are on the line in the Premier League with relegation. Um, I'm very nervous when I think about this match simply because when I look at uh, Wolves last matches here they're in the uh, lost to Espanyol but they're in Europa League they hammered Norwich 3-0 they drew with Brighton 0-0 and Brighton's been our banana skin team anyways so uh, that's concerning they uh, drew with Olympiacos again in Europa and they beat Tottenham 3-2 um so there's there's plenty of action going on for Wolves prior to this. They were a team that probably needed the break more than uh, teams like us, who were rather um, than playing too many European nights. They were actually just getting battered, usually left, right, and center. So um, I'm very nervous here. Henry, I want to come and get your initial reaction. When, when Wolves is the first team up, um, it's either going to be a, a springboard of positivity or a trapdoor of negativity. Where are you feeling this game headed for, for West Ham here? I'm oddly positive, and I don't really know why, because there's no reasons for it, really. We haven't beaten Wolves since the FA Cup in the last season of the bowling ground when Nikita Jelovic scored the only goal. <laughs> and they've done frightfully well against us since they've been promoted. I don't think we've even had a point off of them. I think we've lost every game. But... They've lost their two sort of warm-up... Well, no, sorry. They've lost one of their warm-up games against Nottingham Forest 2-0 at the Molyneux. And they drew their other game one all against Birmingham. And they've only scored one goal um, through Morgan Gibbs-White. Although he is a very good player and he's in one of the... He's one of the 100 people up for the Golden Boy Award in the world. So he's definitely sort of one to look out for. But... And I know they've got a lot of dangerous players with Jimenez and Neves and Jota and Adama Traore. But I just feel with what we've done in the warm-up games, as sort of little as they mean, we seem to sort of be performing well and sort of have kept our form up from where we were before the break. Uh, whereas maybe this has gone the other way with Wolves, where it's sort of taken the, the steam out of their, the, the wind out of their sails. And they have to start again. They didn't start this season that well, uh, whereas we actually started quite well. We won three of our first six games and people weren't talking about us being relegated. We were talking very much at the other end of the table. So I am I'm oddly positive that we can get something from the game. It will be a very difficult game and very hard fought against a very good Wolves team. But I definitely think there are points for us to get. Um, the one thing I'm worried about is just Triore against Cresswell. Um, because that's a recipe for disaster. But if we can sort of negotiate that, then I think we're perfectly capable of beating Wolves and hopefully can get the three points, which will see us sort of hopefully go ahead of Brighton and put a bit more room between us in the bottom three. Yeah, I, I'm so torn on this one. I want to be positive because I think there's something to positive thinking and you know visualization. I think things happen when you do that. Uh, but there are 11 men on the pitch who are going to need to do that more than myself all the way across the Atlantic Ocean here. But I, I, I just don't know about this one. Aaron, I know you said you're you're optimistic, but you're also realistic and you're nervous more than anything else. Is there any sort of weak point that West Ham could, could attack Wolves at, do you think? 
I was looking at uh, some of the stats uh, today when I was trying to think of what I was going to kind of predict and think about this match. I haven't really watched Wolves play a, a whole lot this year. I'm pretty, uh, pretty busy in a lot of regards with the, the toddler running around. But I, I noticed that, yeah, the four out of the five four out of five of their last uh, Premier League matches that had clean sheets. They've only conceded 20, 34 goals in 29 games. So it's going to be really, really tough to uh, to try to break them down in that regard. At the same time, I, I reminds me a lot of how uh, I feel every preseason. I think, uh, you know, if you look at the last three openers, we've played Liverpool, Manchester City, and uh, Manchester United. And I genuinely thought that we would get something from all three of those. So I... I guess I'm kind of carrying that optimism in a lot of ways. Uh, I guess the one way it kind of has been beneficial uh, the lockdown has been that David Moyes has kind of gotten a full preseason rather than coming into a team that was struggling with a run of games. He's had a full preseason to kind of establish exactly how he wants the team to play and and to, to really work with the players. So I think that'll be a little will be advantageous. I also think just you know we can take confidence from the way we played the last few matches before the break and uh, and then the and the, the lead up two matches. I think you know it's a game of confidence and it's ultimately if the, the players go out there, they know what they need to do to win and they have the confidence that they can actually make that happen. Then that's that's a battle we've been losing a lot of times this year. So I think that's that's going to be the key for me. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's a it's a mental thing, like you said. They need to have the mentality of winners, the mentality that they had coming out of Liverpool, playing against uh, Southampton, and also uh, showing up and should have uh, you know should have been the winners against Arsenal as well. I think there's a little bit of swagger that's starting to build here, albeit a, a win against Wolves and certainly against Tottenham and Chelsea would help grow that uh, as the season rolls on here. Uh, I think the biggest question for everybody right now, when it comes to thinking about the preview for this Wolves match and the West Ham team specifically, is one striker or two. Um, we haven't had any news about formation or setup from David Moyes about the two behind closed doors games, and ITKs have been specifically told not to share information because they don't want uh, information getting out about uh, about potential formations and strategic setups. So I just don't know what to really think here. Alaire scored in both games. Um, Antonio played in both games. Bowen played, I believe, in the Crystal Palace game. Uh, Felipe Anderson, I saw pictures from both games, and Fornells, I saw at least pictures in the QPR game. So there appears to be a couple teams playing here, a couple rotations, and possibly a couple formations. Um, what do you guys have a feeling for when it comes to, to striker situation here? Is it going to be Albion Ajedi's time to rise? Is it going to be Hilaire on his own with some more committed wide players? Is it going to be the classic Antonio Hilaire? What do we think is coming up? Uh, and Henry, I'll come to you first here when it comes to the formation for the Hammers. Um, I don't think it's going to be Ayeti's time just yet. I think he might actually be saved for maybe more of the more difficult games where maybe not expecting to get any of the points that we need to stay up. Um, I think it would be sensible for us to sort of stick with our two up top, Hallow and Antonio, and go full power as hard as we can against Wolves to get the points that we need sort of to catapult us up the league a little bit and sort of start the this part of the season off in the right way. And I think sort of Antonio will alternate with Bowen as that second striker role because if Antonio attempts to play these nine games at full pelt in a row, he will injure himself fairly badly, uh, which I don't think is uh, too outlandish thing to say. Whereas Bowen, he's not as quick and powerful as Antonio, but he still can provide sort of the same impact that Antonio has playing next to Haller. So I think that will probably be the mentality going forward of having those two sort of combinations up top of Haller, Bowen or Haller, Antonio. And then it's the case of get, making sure Anderson, Fornals or Lanzini or whoever the sort of other attacking three players are in terms of like the midfielders and wingers are also able to get close to Hallow and the other striker to help create chances. Um, so yeah, that's sort of my thinking that we'll probably be going with a two up top. I mean, when it's been used this season, we've noticeably been far more dangerous. So it would very much boggle my mind if we decided to go back to Hallow being a lone striker 
playing by himself, which has not worked at any point this season. I am going to chime in and say I think it's going to be one up top against Wolves, uh, and I think they're going to use an extra player to sort of pack extra width in the team, and they'll do that by adding a center back. I think it's going to be a 5-2-3 setup. Uh, Suchek and Rice probably won't have any issues playing uh, two games within a few days, so I think that's going to be your midfield duo. Um, the back three, I think, is going to be um, is going to be uh, Angelo Ogbonna if he's if he's healthy, Issa Diop if he's healthy, and Aaron Cresswell on the left center back side. I think you're going to have Ogbonna in the middle, Diop on the right side, Ngaki or Fredericks on the right left side, Arthur Mazuaku. Uh, he did uh, he was he did score in the first match against QPR. And uh, there's, I think, some issues possibly over his fitness. But if he's healthy, I think they stick with this plan. They put him on uh, the left wing back position, his natural and best position in probably all of our opinions, if not left winger. Uh, and then I think you go three up top with Jared Bowen on the right side, Sebastian Allaire in the middle, and Felipe Anderson on the left side. This leaves you Mikel Antonio on Tuesday and Pablo Fornals as fresh attacking options and Hilaire to play both matches again. So um, maybe you go with a 4-3-3 or, or four, sorry, 4-3-1-2 or something along those lines uh, against Tottenham just to give yourself a different look but also the same core spine of players. Um, but I, I just don't know exactly what to believe or what to think. There's so much up in the air. The second game coming a few days afterwards is the biggest concern with team selection. Um, but, you know, as it stands right now, that's it's all it's all guesswork, which it always is when it comes to predicting lineups, of course. But there's nothing to really work off of as a, as a momentum. So we know Rice is going to be there. We know Suchek's going to be there. We know Hilaire is going to be there. Uh, everything else is literally a, a coin flip because, I mean, Fabianski, I guess, is, is a is a shoe in to start. But everything else is a coin flip, really. Uh, I guess I, I want to get your thoughts on the positivity of David Moyes uh, through all of this. And Aaron, you did bring it up a little bit. So I want to start with you again here. Uh, he, he has this mindset of promoting youth, of you know forever being positive, working hard. He also looks like he, he can have a little bit of fun. And, and when West Ham did ink him back up to another contract, uh, I know Noble and Cresswell both came out and said that the players really liked him. Uh, and they, they had some fun with him on the pitch, but they also respected him and where he came from. Uh, also, I don't know if it was you, Aaron, or someone else on Twitter getting into uh, a little bit of a, a discussion about Moyes being a quote-unquote failure and having a, a pretty pefty positive win rate at Manchester United, but it wasn't, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson win rate, so everyone looks down on it. Um, but uh, I think he's been sort of a bit of a breath of fresh air, and he's also, in my opinion, a humble man. So you know, he doesn't have this air of winning the Premier League like like Pellegrini did with him, and he's not locked in his in his ways, but there's something about him that's very likable. Uh, Aaron, I just want to, I want your thoughts on this. Do you think he's the right man to save Weston from relegation? And do you think uh, he's done, you know, well with his time here in his second stint? I'm a fairly outspoken David Moyes, uh, David Moyes supporter. I know he's not the most popular man amongst a lot of people on Twitter. It's quite easy to criticize him for, for his failures at Manchester United and then in Spain and then at Sunderland as well. But I, I think the when I try to evaluate and look at what he what he does as a manager and you know you look at Everton was the place he had the most success and he had a lot of time there to really build a program he had to build a build his uh, his team and his system kind of a certain way because of their financial constraints and he really uh, I read an interesting article that talked about how detailed his scouting system was and how their transfer policy was and it was uh, really really you know kind of intricate and then you think about that from there he goes to Manchester United where he was kind of left to a squad that really needed a lot of changes. He wasn't given much time. Then he went to Spain and then Sunderland, which is, if you guys have watched uh, the documentaries on Netflix, like they're, they were a mess. I don't think there was much that he could really have done there. Um, I, I think he foolishly maybe has chosen to put himself, I mean, everybody would have taken that Manchester United role, but it's two choices after that might've been a little, uh, a little foolish. I think he probably wished he had waited a little bit better to find a perfect scenario. And I, I genuinely feel that, you know, other than people losing losing their mind on Twitter, that he, if he's given some time, that he could actually, you know, create something that's maybe similar to Everton. I know that's being very optimistic, and I'm sure I'll probably uh, get, get some criticism for that. But I, I genuinely am starting to see that with West Ham, buying players like Suchek and uh, Bowen and, and the direction he wants to take the club in and kind of his personality. I really think it could be a good fit if 
but of course to get that opportunity i think he really needs to uh improve performances in these final nine games the way the team's played since he took over in early january really hasn't been all that fantastic so the best way to win win people over is to uh to get some results any anything to add to that henry um i think i agree with aaron mostly like off the pitch david moyes i think is a very likable character he says a lot of the right things he's always very sort of positive he we hear that he wants to bring young players from the championship they're british which really suits the culture of the club i really like his signings like aaron of suchek and bowen i mean i was pushing up for us to sign bowen so much in january i was so happy when it came off and i don't think that would have happened under pellegrini so i do think moyes is making a lot of the right decisions to be liked and to sort of get some success at west ham but we just need to see it on the pitch. I don't think the results have really sort of worked too well so far. I mean, everyone sort of expects when you get a new manager, you're going to get that new manager boost and sort of hopefully get a couple wins quite quick, which sort of we beat um, Bournemouth and we won our FA Cup game. Um, but other than that, it's been quite dreary in terms of results I mean it's not been as bad but I think a lot of that's to do with Fabianski coming back to the side rather than Roberto or David Martin being in goal um, so we just sort of need to see the performances carry on from the last sort of four games before we went into lockdown from the Southampton, Brighton, Arsenal and Liverpool game if they sort of carry on at that level then I do think Moyes has a future at the club and hopefully a very successful future at the club um so yeah it's sort of just you can say and do all the right things but at the end of the day a manager is judged a manager is judged entirely on his results on the pitch so he needs to sort of up them a bit if he is to stay for the long haul all right it comes now to the most important part of predictions and that is the score predictions uh i will give aaron the the first crack at this one here west ham Versus Wolves, what do you think the score is going to be? Gonna continue continue the optimism today. I think I'm gonna go with a, a two one result for West Ham. I must make it quite clear that this is very much a prediction from my heart as opposed to necessarily <laughs> my head. But I think I'm gonna try to continue that positive thinking from the side of the Atlantic. And uh, yeah, that's my uh, that's what I'm going with. Do you have goal scorers for uh, for West Ham? I was going to put a little money on Jared Bowen. So let's go with Jared Bowen and then Sebastian Hellaire. I think uh, let's he's been firing in those two matches. Jared Bowen's uh, quickly become one of my favorite players at the club, and he's not afraid to take a shot. So, yeah, I'll go with those two. Love it. Henry, who is scoring, in, if, you know, if at all, and uh, what do you think the score is going to be in this one? I think it's going to be a very tight game for about 80 minutes. And it will be sort of poised at one all, and then I think Antonio is going to come on for the last fifteen or ten minutes or so and score two goals. Ooh. So I think it's going to be three one to West Ham. I don't know if we'll deserve it, but I think that's something I can imagine happening. I mean, everyone's sort of preparing. I think everyone's preparing themselves for West Ham to lose because of all this build up and excitement sort of starting to grow again. It would be a very West Ham thing to do of losing. Yeah, and I think they're going to surprise us by doing sort of the opposite West Ham thing to do and win when no one's expecting them to do. Um, and I think we're going to, I think we're going to get the three points and I think Antonio is going to have a big say in it um, off the bench. If Bowen is given the nod ahead of him. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we're going to win three one and I'm going to be blindly positive. Wow. Okay. I'm going to be a little bit more realistic here. I'm going to call a one, one draw. Uh, it's not exciting, but I, I think that that's actually a super positive performance and one you could probably build on. Uh, and I will give the goal to Issa Diop, and he's going to get it on a corner. That's going to be my prediction. I want to go bold with, with the goal score and not exciting and bold with the actual score itself. But I would bite your hand off for a 1-1 result right now uh, with Wolves. Uh, okay, so there it is. There's our predictions. Uh, we're going to take another quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to answer some Hammers Polls questions. All right, the last segment of the podcast is here. As per usual, we're answering Hammer's Pulse questions. But first, 
we will answer our own poll on Twitter. This one comes from Henry Tomlinson. The name sounds familiar. At Henry T Sports. He may have written the article and he may have answered it for us here as well. Uh, he wrote an article titled Three West Ham Players with the Most to Prove. Uh, and those three players are given as options for that very same uh, statement put in question form. So who of these three has the most to prove? I'm going to give myself... The first answer here. The options are Sebastian Hilaire, Ryan Fredericks, and Felipe Anderson. And I voted on this question, and I voted for Sebastian Hilaire. Uh, I think, in a very succinct way, because we've touched on it already, he has not put together enough good performances to have him uh, justify his cost, uh, which, again, is not his fault, but also justify um, a drop-off between where he was in the Bundesliga and where he was here. I think he's going to do that, but he does have the most to prove uh, in this West Ham team. My close second would be Felipe Anderson, but I'll leave it at Sebastian Hilaire. He's our big man up top. He needs to start banging in goals. He's got the most to prove. Uh, Aaron, who do you have out of those three players for the most to prove for the remaining games? I'll add a little variety here, and I will uh, I'll go with Ryan Fredericks, actually. I oh. think we've... Yeah, it's uh, probably would go with Hilaire, but let's uh, let's talk about another player as well. Um, I think we've spent the last six weeks talking about how his replacement is not going to sign with the club. We've talked about Ben Johnson. You guys have discussed Matty Cash and other options, and uh, this is kind of an instance for him. If every nobody's really been talking or giving him any uh, any love really from the fan base about coming back and being healthy and stepping into that position. So if he wants to be uh, be a professional in that regard and, and recognize that his reputation has kind of come under fire, the next uh, nine games will be an excellent chance for him to make the case that we were all pretty foolish to be concerned about Jeremy Ngakia or anyone else, really. All right. Solid answer there, and one I did not expect to see uh, to see picked there, but I love it. Uh, Henry, who do you have as your uh, as your pick for most to prove? I was going to be controversial myself and say Ryan Fredericks, which automatically makes it not controversial now. Um, but I'm actually going to go with Felipe Anderson uh, as of now. Um, I think last season he was one of our best players, but he had a real hot streak of form, which died off and he's only rescored two goals in the league since the turn of 2019. Um, and considering we thought like he was going to be the guy, he was going to be the next Pyatt, he was going to be the guy that's going to win us games out of nowhere, and he's not really shown it for quite a while now. Um, and he started to sort of be linked away from the club, or David Moyes came in and he wasn't getting into the side, and then he got injured, so he sort of fell out of favour and he struggled to get back in because Fornell started doing well, so all of a sudden there was a bit of um, congestion with places in the squad. So I think he's got a huge amount to prove but, uh, between now and the end of the season to show that he should be here and he deserves to be starting every week as much as Haller. And in terms of his own future, if West Ham were to be relegated, he needs to prove to himself that he is good enough to be able to choose where he wants to go um, because I think everyone would accept that he wouldn't be hanging around too long to be travelling to Swindon in the Championship or wherever we would be going. Um, so I'm going to go with Philippe Hansen in terms of he's got a lot to prove to us as a club and us as fans, but I think he's got a lot to prove to himself to show that he was worth of the move and that if, if he was to leave, he'd be moving up rather than sideways or down. Yeah, and you know what? I'll give us the results here. Sebastian Allaire, the voting's in at 50%. Ryan Frederick, 7.9%. And Felipe Anderson, 42.1%. Um, but I don't. There's not a wrong answer there. Of course, this isn't uh, isn't a yes or no. So, um, yeah, I think we all have some some solid points there, and either could be argued in, in any direction. Um, we will fall back to Hammers polls here and uh, and give our thoughts on the latest uh, fan related questions and fan pulse. Uh, this question came uh, yesterday. Uh, it is uh, a question about a current player, senior player in the squad, and extending them. With West Ham have a 12-month option on Fabianski, who still has one year left on his contract. Should the club action it, uh, action it for the 35-year-old? Yes, no, or too early to say. Um, when I originally read this question, I thought it was at the end of this season. 
so I will just jump in and say I said yes. Um, I would still say yes anyways. If it's either uh, Anang or Trot, who's our starting keeper then, or an intermediate keeper, I would love Fabianski to challenge them for a starting spot. And also, be, he'd be a great cup keeper and a great mentor. Um, so I would love to have him sticking around the club here, but that's just me. Uh, Henry, we'll come to you this time and change up the order. Are you extending 12 months uh, for Fabianski at the end of next season? Yes, no, or too early to call it? Yes. I would be extending immediately. Um I think if you look at the current options, like Roberto's still at the club technically, but I don't think he will be as of the end of the season. Um, Randolph, I don't, I can't see him staying around that long. I, I think he's going to move on because he's back sort of where he was when he left us. And Fabianski is much harder competition than Adrian was proving to be at the time. So I think Randolph could sort of be moved on again um, and I, David Martin I don't know how long he'll be at the club for in a playing position I think he'll probably be sort of more focused on his own coaching badges or so which all of a sudden you only have Fabianski as a senior goalkeeper at the club um, so yeah I'd be extending it 100% um, just so you, even if he wasn't first choice and say we brought in a goalkeeper between to help sort of the gap between Trot and Anang taking, trying to battle for first team. So you, Fabianski has a new battle to support a guy or so. I know um, we had an article which was about Strakoshka from Lazio and Nubel from Schalke. If one of them was to come in for a few years, then Fabianski can help push them and mentor. And then if they were to move on, then that should be the time where Trot and Anang were ready to sort of flourish and take the position for themselves and, battle, and they can have the battle between themselves. So I'd be extending it for a year, no matter what, really, because I don't think the other current goalkeepers at the club will be there for too long. And you don't want to be buying three new goalkeepers because the other two youngsters are still a bit too young for regular Premier League football. I think you're completely right there. And you know what? I love the back uh, the back end deal arrangement rather the club should pursue. Um, pay more money than Sheffield United for another one or two seasons of Dean Henderson as our starting goalkeeper on loan. How about that? No one thinks about that. A cheeky loan deal before Nathan Trott's ready to, to take over. That's what I would do. Um, anyways, 83.3% uh, said yes, that they would extend him as of right now. 6.4% um, 6 6 said no. And 10.4% said probably the right answer, which is uh, too early to say. Um, realistically, there's no pressure to do it now or anything like that. You might as well wait until we see what's happening. He's probably uh, not on crazy wages, uh, and he will, you know, like we all have said, he's a great servant for the club. He'd be a great mentor for the team. So uh, let's have some more Fabianski in our lives there. Uh, okay, now let's get to a more serious and pressing and saddening issue. With Ogbonna a doubt for the restart, would you like to see Moyes convert Cresswell to a center back and Mazuaku as a left back? Uh, sorry, a wing back rather. Uh, I said yes, but that would basically be. Um, at the point of, uh, oh, you know what? I just remembered here. Aaron, you didn't even get to chime in on Fabianski. What am I doing? I'm cutting you off here. Aaron, do we want more Fabianski, yes or no? Uh, we do, yes. I, I think goaltenders or keepers tend to, uh, you know, they don't age the same way that outfield players do. I think 34 years old, he's still got lots, several years of pretty quality football in him. I mean, I think his injuries this year were, you know, they were kind of, some I wouldn't say freak injuries, but they're not injuries of being beaten up by by playing the goalkeeper position. It was just a you know a hamstring or hip injury that kind of happened from that long kick. I I'd be a big fan of signing him up. I think he's a very 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 calm back there. He's a leader on the team. The fans love him. I don't think he can really do wrong. But uh, yeah, well that's that's my choice on that one. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to have forgotten you there or sweep over you. I was so excited to get to the next question. Um, but Aaron, I'm going to come back to you first here, so I can't do that again. Uh, do you think that uh, David Moyes will convert Cresswell to a center back like he's done prior and see Mazuaku as a wing back in a three back formation or even four back formation if Bob Wayne is not up to the task and Ogbonna is out? What do you think on that one? I really don't want to see Arthur Matsuaku anywhere uh, on the pitch at this point in time. I, I think I would like to see if Belbuena doesn't play well. I know I've, I've kind of mentioned it before. I've, 
depending on how things are going, I wouldn't be against seeing Declan Rice drop back there to be a position of, of calm, you know, to be a calm uh, fixture on the back line. But I, I really don't necessarily in a in a uh, relegation battle like this want to see someone like Cresswell come in to play a position he really hasn't played all all year and in several years really and then also at the same time add Arthur Masuaku uh, out onto the field as well so yeah yeah all right what do you think there Henry um I think if Fogbonner wasn't going to be able to make the game I definitely would like to see um Rice sort of drop back into the back four. I know I've sort of been a big sort of preacher of the Balbuena case, but I think in terms of like the importance of just being ready to get going, know you're going to have your best players out on the pitch. Um, Declan's probably going to be able to do that the best. I think if we were playing a five at the back, I'd feel fairly comfortable going with the Mazuraku left wing back and Cresswell left centre back. Um, if Moyes wanted to play a five at the back, I think that would be the only way we could sort of do it. Um, because then Mazuraki sort of, he gets that cover. Um, and then you can almost sort of slip into a back four while Mazuraki sort of goes maraudering up the pitch to sort of support Anderson, which they do very well together and people sort of forget his attacking ability sometimes because of the errors he makes at the back. Um, so yeah, I think it's sort of a mixture answer for me of uh, Rice dropping back if we play a back four or Cresswell and Mazuraka if we play a back five, really. Yeah, I, I completely agree with the, with the Rice moving back as the first option. Uh, and I think having Jack Wilshere, I know you can't rely on him, but having him fit would make that a much more easy decision for David Moyes to make because he wants to get the best out of him. Um, I watched some highlights of, of, uh, of Wilshere scoring two goals for England and like they, they were such good goals he was such a great player so if you can capture any of that back why not but it would be nerve-wracking to say the least on that one and and uh, for this I would say if it's a necessity of course I would I would do that and like you said Henry moving to a back four with uh, Mazuaku almost acting as an extra winger or midfielder would be an option as well um, and eight but 84.6 percent say um no, they would not convert Cresswell to Moy, uh, Cresswell to center back and uh, Mazuaku to a wing back. Probably for what Aaron said, they just don't want to see Mazuaku on the pitch anymore. And for that, I do not blame a ton of people here. Um, but we move on. Uh, this is going to be our last question here. Hilaire uh, scores again today to make it two goals in two games, albeit friendly matches. Who will score the most goals in the last remaining nine games? Hilaire, Bowen, Antonio, if another person, state who. Uh, Henry, we'll come to you first on this one. Who's scoring the most goals for the rest of West Ham's season? Um, I think it's definitely between those three. Um, I think it's very sort of tricky call because it's very rare we have lots of prolific players at the same time. Um, I think, I know I sort of backed Antonio to get two goals against Wolves and I'm trying to think if, if I think anyone will score three in the last nine games of the season. <laughs> that would be a goal every three games, which is a fairly decent record for us. Um, I think maybe it will be Antonio. I think if we sort of use him off the bench, his impact could be really, really strong, especially with his pace and power. Um, and I think he could sort of cause a lot of damage at the end of games, especially when players are a bit run down after playing two games a week for three weeks, Antonio can sort of come on relatively fresh because he's only been running around 20 minutes at a time during a game. And I think that could be really dangerous. So I'm going to go with Antonio. But I think Hallow and Bowen will definitely sort of hopefully get a couple. I'm thinking we're going to score a lot of goals and I think I'm going to be proved wrong quite quickly. But I think it will be Antonio to get the most. Interesting, interesting. Okay, I'll let Aaron close out this this question, and I'll, I'll jump in real quick here. Um, I'm gonna go off the board and say Felipe Anderson. I think, I think, I think we're gonna see a lot more of him, and I think we're gonna see more strategic usage of Antonio, like you had said there, Henry, off the bench, and I think that's gonna open up a left sided spot to start with uh, Fornells and Lanzini sort of being that midfield attacking role more so. I think Felipe Anderson will get more more goals than Antonio. 
Oh, man, you know what? I have to bail on that. I think it's going to be Hilaire. I think he's going to score a truckload of goals. But I think Fleet Anderson should be on this list. But I, I will I will say Hilaire. Uh, he, he's on a hot streak right now with the friendlies, and uh, I think he'll keep that going. All right, Aaron, what do you think? I'll go with Jared Bowen. I think we're going to see uh, a real breakout from him in these final nine games. I think we, we got a glimpse against uh, you know coming on late against Liverpool that Southampton match he was phenomenal and then you know at Arsenal he almost scored a goal in the first couple of minutes of the game with that long strike I think uh, I think he's been waiting for this moment to uh, to finally you know I was reading an article about uh, right before he got sold to West Ham about how no one was making a bid on him and a couple of former managers were talking about how he's every level he's gone up he's made it seamless and been a great player so I think we're really going to see a uh, breakout from him and He's going to kind of become very quickly become a, a cult, a cult hero around the club, and he's going to yeah be the leading scorer on these final nine matches. All right, I love that. Another variation pick for the for the boys here to close it out. Uh, to uh, to give you the results here, Alaire has sixty five point one percent, Bowen twenty four point one, Antonio ten point four, and other was point four, um, but no one stated who, so they lose their point four percent of their votes, but. That's it for episode 67. Uh, I'm so excited to have you guys back and chatting with me. Uh, we're all relatively positive when it comes to West Ham getting a result against Wolves. It's it's at home, uh, and they won't have uh, 60,000 fans booing them when they don't show up or whatever. So that could be a relief for, for West Ham. Uh, and they could actually turn that place into a fortress uh, with crickets playing in the background. So uh, good luck, West Ham. Come on, you Irons. Uh, and until next week, let's do it. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.